For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. This pod is brought to you by Brand MN. They're a Minnesota company that makes awesome shirts and more for Minnesotans. So odds are, if you're listening to this podcast, which you are, they've got something that you'll love. I personally like the Scratching Post shirt. It's a picture of a cat scratching on the WNBA Championship trophy. It's for the Minnesota Lynx, and it can be yours. All you have to do is go to brandmn.com and use the code AWAW for 15% off your order. Your closet will thank you. Welcome back to the A Wolf Among Wolves podcast. I am your host, Brendan Hedke. You can find me on Twitter at B underscore Hedke NBA. You can find the show on Twitter at AWAW underscore podcast. And this is part of the A Wolf Among Wolves podcast network. You can find the A Wolf Among Wolves blog at awolfamongwolves.com or at AWAW blog on Twitter. And today I am joined by uh, Jack Borman, one of my good friends, and now he's writing over at Canis Hoopus, formerly was at uh, Dunking with Wolves. So how's it going, Jack? I'm doing well, man. How are you? I'm not too bad. I'm just trying to survive a little bit, and I don't know, the heat and wind has been getting kind of crazy around my area, so. Yeah, you know, I, I'm glad that I'm glad that it's hot instead of instead of dealing with, like, cyclo-bomb, yeah, <laughs> cyclo-bomb sure. weather, so I, I love it. Yeah, so see, things seem to hopefully be settling down a little bit in our state, but a lot's still happening. But um, today, we're going to try and focus some on some more draft stuff. So last time Jack joined me, we uh, we talked about Trey Jones and um, uh, who else? Oh, Tyrell Terry. And now we're going to be going into two Florida State players that I think would be pretty good, uh, pretty good players to maybe have the Timberwolves look at for this um, for this. Uh, draft whenever the draft does happen and that's Devin Vassell and Patrick Williams so I think we'll dive into Vassell first off so what are your initial thoughts on Devin Vassell or Vassell I don't really know how to say it for sure um yeah so so my initial thoughts on him just kind of just being able to look through uh a a couple of games on synergy was that he's a really really out solid outside shooter uh he's got a really good high a high release point that makes it really tough for especially smaller defenders to close out. And because he's really rangy uh, and just versatile on the offensive end, can play the two, can play the three, can play the four, um, at, at least at the college level, uh, he, he finds himself with shorter guys defending him a lot and, uh, and, and shot the ball really, really well, uh, especially with, with the smaller guys on him, um, you know, and, and shot 40, 41.6% from three, uh, which is really, really encouraging. But um, just a high-level shot maker. Can make a ton of different shots, whether he's off the bounce, flying around screens, uh, spotting up, uh, or, or fading away on, on a lot of dribble drives. I noticed he really solid doing that as well. Um, and then on defense, you know, I think I think Vizel's probably my second favorite defender in this draft. Uh, outside of or behind Anyeka Kangwu, um, just yeah. just because he's he's a really smart off ball player that that just is really timely, 
knows when to be aggressive, when to when to not be aggressive. Really smart in terms of when to dig in certain actions coming through the lane, um, and when to kind of you know stay in the help as opposed to follow his man. Um, and then on the ball, just really really smart, uh, physical, um, and does a really good job with his hands. Like I said, so um, yeah. re- really really great two-way player that I think will I think will have a long long career in the NBA. Honestly, like kind of that prototypical like you hear it all the time and people get labeled under it and sometimes they don't really deserve to be labeled as this but i think Vassell is a guy that should be labeled as like a three and d guy because right now that's what he is he has that room to grow into more of an offensive threat but right now he is more of like a three and d guy and for those of you who are listening who haven't really looked at Vassell at all he's like a six six shooting guard maybe small forward and um he's from florida state and he's got like a 6'10", 6'11", wingspan. Like his arms are just super long, but he's also really skinny. He's like 190 pounds. So if you look at that frame, just a lanky like shooting guard, small forward type player. And yeah, I think 3 and D wing is probably the best like archetype of a player for him or like the best way to um, really like describe him without watching his game at all. Yeah, I think that, you know the best way to describe the way that he plays would probably be like if, if NBA fans know Trevor Ariza, um, Trevor Ariza is probably the best, uh, the best NBA comp that I can, I can give for him. is just a guy who is in the right spots at the right times, uh, knows where to be off the ball on offense, which I think is really important, especially for, for, you know, being shot ready and being able to, to spot up and make shots, um, and make shots from behind the three-point line. And then on defense, too, just, you know, again, in the, in the right spots at the right time, just just a really smart, high-IQ player. Yeah, I uh, I was think I was struggling for a while trying to think of, like, who would be a good comp for him. And I, Trevor Ariza didn't even cross my mind, but that's pretty good. The guy I came up with is a lot younger than Ariza. And I thought he kind of reminded me of Mikhail Bridges from Phoenix, where he's, right. like, a solid defender, a good, a good shooter. And I think, I don't know if their bodies really match up. I didn't get that deep into it, but just watching him play, Mikhail Bridges was a guy that I thought um, kind of, you know, Mikhail Bridges and Vassell, they both, they know their role. They don't really do anything that they can't do. They don't try and be someone they're not. And I think that's important when you're thinking of um, getting a role player on a, in a draft that um, can be high value. And I think Vassell's a guy that has that. Yeah, and I think the other thing too, the the great the great point there about about the Mikhail Bridges comp too is that they're both guys that just really know how to play within the flow of the offense, and yeah. and, and guys that you can plug in and play and will get production from right away because they weren't guys that you know were super heavily relied upon in college. You know, I, I guess you can make that argument a little bit more for for Bridges than you could for Vassell, but mm-hmm. um, but but I think that just creates a smoother transition to the NBA and allows them to be more impactful early on. And, and if you get a guy who, you know, essentially since he's finished high school has just been a really, really solid role player that does what a coach asks him to do. And, and like you said, right. doesn't try and do too much, takes, takes good shots, the right shots, uh, doesn't force it on offense and, you know, isn't, ab- isn't above playing really solid, great on ball and or off ball defense. Um, I, I think that those types of guys are, are guys that you want to target versus, you know, if you're looking for immediate production. And I think that's kind of what the Timberwolves are looking for in a sense, Um, which I think makes it a little tougher um, for a guy like Anthony Edwards or LaMelo Ball just because they've been the guy wherever they've been. And then having to make that transition into a role player uh, right away in in the first year can can kind of create a little bit more of a project, if you will. So so I love the prospect of Vassell being able to jump in and, and contribute well from day one. Yeah, and I think that the big thing with um, Vassell is I think he has a pretty high floor. Like, I think no matter how, you know, how good he ends up being, I think his floor is high enough to where he's going to be an impactful 3 and D player throughout his time in the NBA. And um, for those of you that are listening, you want to hear some stats. He averaged 12.7 points, 5 rebounds, and 1.6 assists in college as a sophomore. His freshman year was down a little bit than that, but um, his shooting is the thing we mentioned the most, and he shot over 40 per- 41% uh, in both seasons at Florida State. 
So I think it's just he's shown that he's very consistent from three. And he's not like a, the threes he takes are more of catch and shoot or like spot up. He's not a guy that's going to take you off the dribble, pull up in front of you or anything like that. He really needs to set his feet well. So I think it limits him some, but he's never claimed to be a creator. He doesn't even take those off the dribble threes. Like I think he took one off the dribble three his entire um, freshman year, like one. That was it. So he really knows what kind of shots he can make and which kind he can't, and he uses that to his advantage. Yeah, and I think the other the other piece there that you mentioned too is that the off the dribble piece. I think that. He, he improved a lot, especially inside the arc as an off-dribble mm-hmm. shooter. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, with, with kind of post-fadeaways and, and fadeaways, especially going to his left. Um, yeah. Didn't didn't shoot a ton of floaters, but but really liked that fade kind of once he gets two feet in the paint and fades away. Kind of like what Kawhi loves to do. Um, obviously not at the same level. And he has level. the length to do it, too. But, right. like he's getting the ball high enough to get over everyone. But right, he's got the length to do it, and he's also got, like Kawhi, he's got the high release point that you need in order to be able to pull that off consistently. Um, and, and, you know, if he can get to his spot and elevate and have a shot that's above his head and it, and it and you can keep it away from defenders, that's something that'll that'll definitely translate to the next level. So I'm excited to see kind of how that comes to fruition. But but like you were saying, much more of a spot-up shooter um, and in more stats, I guess, if people are looking for, for more context. Um, on spot-ups, using the 80th percentile um, in, in, nationwide in the NCAA, um, and coming off screens, he didn't do it quite as much, a little bit of a smaller sample size there. Um, just because, you know, when he, when you're talking about coming off screens, um, he really only did that on, you know, a a very limited amount of possessions, Mm -hmm. uh, but still 95th percentile, um, 1.4 points per possession, which is, which is awesome, which is a a crazy high number. And then when, then when you're looking at catch and shoot jumpers, um, 87th percentile shot 35 or excuse me, 30, 39% on, um, on guarded catch and shoot opportunities and then shot 44.2 on unguarded so just a guy that converts open jump shots catch and shoot opportunities at a really high clip yeah i think all those stats that you just mentioned his percentiles for all of them really lend me to believe that he's going to be a solid shooter in the nba even if he's not a top level shooter which i think he probably will turn into that i think he's still you know like a 38 percent three-point shooter at worst in the nba which I think is that's something for sure. But the the one thing about him, how do you feel about his jump shot? I'm, it's a little off to me, but it's consistent. It's the same every time. I don't know if you paid as much attention to it um, as I did because I heard. So I was listening to Dane Moore and Will DeBerg talk about it, and they were talking about how his jump shot was a little off. And I was like, okay, I have to watch this, and I think they were right. But it is it is consistent enough. Or not even enough. It's very consistent to the point where I'm not that worried about it because he shoots it the same every single time and he shoots it well. So it's not something that's one time it's way off from another time. Like they just, it looks consistent. I think that's important. Yeah, you know, it wasn't necessarily something that I was looking for. I mean, when you see his jump shot, you can kind of tell that, you know, it's not your standard perfect very clean smooth jump it doesn't shot. look like tyrell terry's jump shot. <laughs> right um but but you know the thing is that like you were saying it, it looks consistent it wasn't so that's something that i think that at least i'd like to think i would notice and see uh just from watching a few games and, and watching highlights as well but um but his jumper looks rather fluid in the sense that mm-hmm. it doesn't look like he's uncomfortable shooting the ball i think you no. have other guys for instance like patrick williams Jarrett um, or Jarrett culver yeah yeah exactly that that look a little bit more uncomfortable when they're shooting yeah. um but but vassell doesn't hesitate has a lot of confidence in his jump shot and and like i said it's a rather fluid jumper with uh with a pretty stable base that you know isn't crazy it's not like his legs are flying around everywhere um, and, and so like, I'm right there with you. I completely buy his jump shot in the sense that I think it'll translate really well. 
Um, and, and then you also just factor in that, that he'll have a ton more hours in the gym to be able to devote to just yeah. shooting and getting that down and working with mm -hmm. development coaches. There might be a, a small tweak here or there, but I, I, I really don't think that there's going to be any drastic changes to his jump shot at the next level. No, I don't think so. And, and, the... and especially with a short off season too, I, I don't think going into his rookie season that, that teams are really going to, to want to tinker with that much. No. And I think part of it's with, um, you know, he's got really long arms, and I think sometimes that just looks off for a guy of, you know, he's only 6'6", six, six, but right. with arms being 6'10", I mean, it's like a, it's not like it's Michael Kidd Gilchrist shot where it's like his elbows <laughs> all the way into his chest, and like, it's weird. It's just, it's a little not perfect, but I think it's good enough. But you, you said it best, like, he's going to have more time at the NBA level. I think like, even I forget that these college players aren't just in the gym all day. I mean, they have to go to class. They got to do their homework. Or, like, some some of them might not. But um, they go to class, and they have structured time to be in the gym. It's not like NBA players don't have a job outside of that. Maybe they have kids to take care of and stuff. But they have a lot more time in the gym and a lot better development guys that can help them out. Right. And and, and the other thing I, I, I think is true, too, with, with Vassell is that, you know, you don't have to fix his shot selection. And I think that's another thing, too, is, right. is it's really just about getting in the gym, taking shots, make sure you're replicating, you know, game-level speed and, and, and game-type actions, too. And, and I'm, I, I'm fully confident that, that he'll be good. I, I think his footwork, especially when he's coming around screens to, to receive passes – is good. I just think that he, like you, like you were saying too, what, you know, when he has really long arms and holds the ball high above his head, I think your first instinct is to kind of think that it looks unnatural. Yeah. Um, with the exception of maybe like a Kevin Durant, just because he's mm -hmm. one of the best. Shooters but Kevin Durant's ever. also like seven feet tall, so right. I think his arms fit him a little more. Yeah, I, I definitely know what you mean with the the arms kind of look like they don't fit, which I think. I think I see that more on the defensive end than the offensive end, but mm -hmm. um, but with his arms spread out wide like an eagle, he just <laughs> looks so lanky. Like right, it's crazy. And covers so much space. Um, yeah, which is a good thing defensively. That's something you want. Right, you know, that's not a knock at all. Oh no, no, no. I just think that 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 kind of vanity of it in terms of it, it looking off, I think is definitely something that <laughs> that stands out a little bit. Um, once someone kind of tells you about it or. or or once you see it a couple of right. times. Um, so I mentioned he only averaged uh, about an assist and a half at college in his sophomore season. How, how do you feel about that? Does it worry you playing like as like a two guard or maybe like a three? Do you think he should distribute the ball a little bit better? Granted, he does have the lowest um, turnover percentage in all of the ACC at just 6.6%. So that's good. So it's like he's only passing when he knows he can make the pass. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think it's better than Williams in comparison. So I think I think Patrick right. Williams had almost double the amount of turnovers that he had assists at, mm -hmm. at Florida State this season. Um, and so, you know, I, I don't worry about it quite as much because he's not really an off-the-ball creator. If, if he was a guy that, that yeah. was an off-the-ball creator archetype that, that really wanted to or really had a had a strong tendency to put the ball on the floor and, and put his head yeah. down and go to the rim and try and make plays, I, I would be concerned about it. But because he doesn't, and, and his assists and his passing is a little more opportunistic in the sense that, you know, he really takes what the defense gives him. If he sees space in front of him or a lane in front of him, he's going to take it. And he's not afraid yep. to throw a lob over a, over a dropping defender that, that steps up in the paint. And, and, he, and he does that... And he did that pretty regularly in in college, just because Florida State has had so many really long, lengthy, yeah. big guys they that, that threw on down. defense. They switched like one through five, like Which was everything awesome. was getting switched, and it worked so well for them. Yeah, because they just had those lengthy, strong, fast guys. Yeah, if they could have just had more shooters or a little more, you know, offensive, yeah, creativity and playmaking, I think that that team, that team would have been really tough to handle when a game slows down in March and April, but. Um, but yeah, I, I, it's not really a huge problem for me, just in the sense that he generally makes the right read and the right play when he has the ball in his hands. I'd, I'd be really curious to see too how many hockey assists he has, 
just because yeah, I think some that PTAs and everything. Yeah, I think that he, he a lot of times he'll he'll collapse the defense when he mm-hmm. when he does put the ball on the deck and get into the lane, and then he'll either elevate or he'll elevate to shoot or he'll elevate and then shoot out of a pass, maybe to the corner of the wing yeah. that then gets kicked one more time for an assist. Saw that a decent amount as well. So. So no, I, and especially since because he takes care of the ball so very well, like you said, um, it, it's not, it's not a chief concern for me, for sure. And yeah, he's yeah he's so smart with it that it really doesn't matter. But, did um, you kind of did you kind of see the same thing, or or did you think yeah, it was yeah, more? Yeah, no, I'm not worried. I don't really worry about it. I mean, especially when you look and you have a team. If you're talking about him on the Timberwolves. When you have Cat and D'Lo, who are both really good passers for their position, like D'Lo's one of the best passers, not like top three maybe, but one of the better passers in the league, and Cat's one of the best passing centers, and you run the offense through them, I think Vassell can fit well in like a Robert Covington role or whatever on the offense, so I'm not worried about it at all. But defense is where he intrigues me the most, and I think he's the most valuable for the Timberwolves. Um... So I, I want to point out a couple weaknesses of his game defensively. The one is how small he is, weight-wise. He's less frame than 200 wise, pounds. Yeah. yeah, frame. You know, he's skinny like Kevin Durant. Not saying you can't be a good defender when you're skinny, but I think he would struggle to guard anything bigger than a three. Even some threes in the league, he would struggle to guard because he's not quite as strong as he needs to be. Like, if he if you put Josh Okogie's muscle onto Devin Vassell... He would be insane defensively, but I think he just needs to put on weight, and there's still room to do that. He's only 20 years old, and he can still put on weight and everything, but that's one thing. And then I see that he gambles a little bit defensively with some steals. Not too bad, but there are times where he's trying to jump a lane, and it's not there, and then he leaves a wide-open cut or something. But those are really the only knocks I have him on defense. Yeah, I I've, I definitely noticed the aggression, and I think part of it is because he's he feels so confident in his teammates' team defensive abilities that yeah. that I think he knows that if he gambles, there's three him. other guys that are six eight or six nine with seven foot wingspans that can step in and rotate, and and he yeah. can recover, and and their and their communication is really really good defensively. That's something that I've noticed with with Letter and Hamilton's teams over the years, um, and even when like a guy like Jonathan Isaac was there. Um, yeah. He just has a really good knack for finding these outstanding team defenders and, and kind of grooming them, like you said. Um, and yeah, I think going back to what you said about Jo too, like the big difference between Jo and and and, J- and Jared Culver is that you know Jared Culver's probably got two three inches on on Josh Okogie, but Josh Okogie plays yeah. bigger because he's just he's built just like big. a brick house. Yeah, and he yes. and he's hard to move. And and I and I think that's a completely valid valid kind of concern. Um, and, and, you know, again, too, it kind of goes back to the whole NBA strength program. Um, it, it, it'll be really interesting to see what happens with him uh, to see if he can put on, you know, t- 10, 15 pounds in the first season that he's in the NBA. Um, but but we'll see, you know, and, and kind of going back to my comparison about Trevor Ariza. Um, so Trevor Ariza is like 225 right now. Um, yeah. And but it, coming into the league, he was probably quite a bit smaller. Exactly, than that. And, and I think you're just a, a huge beneficiary of, of getting into the NBA and having you know Strength personal and chefs and, and everything and, yeah. and the whole nine. So, yeah, I think he needs that weight defensively a little bit. What position do you see him at in the NBA? Do you see him as a two or more of a three? I see him as a three. Um, I think. I think it, that's. What I, I think see him because as of his because he doesn't really have that explosive burst off the dribble that allows him to get to the, get to the rim and that, you know, he just doesn't really flash as a playmaker off the ball or excuse me, off the bounce and, and isn't a high level passer. I I think he would, he would struggle to, to make it as a two and he's just not quick enough. Um, But, but I, I see him more as a three uh, as a three that could play a small ball four if he is next to a really strong prototypical think, five. And that's what I was thinking, too. He would need to put on a little more muscle to play that four, especially offensively. But I I think he can get there. I think he could find his way to play some small ball four for us. But 
I find him more as a, I think he's a three for sure is where I would put him at, at the next level. Yeah. And, um, and going back to Ariza, he was six, eight, 200 coming out of UCLA. So, okay. So I'd, a little bit, he's taller though, too. So taller, he adds a few more pounds and stuff. So they were probably essentially around the same size. Right. So hopefully he kind of sees that same progression. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I like Vassell's uh, fit defensively too. I think he's smart at jumping passing lanes. He's pretty good on ball. Um, just a little more strength will help him on ball even more. Um, so the another thing is he does lack some athleticism. He's not the most athletic guy on the court. He's he's pretty smooth in transition athletically, but he's not going to jump out of the gym or anything like Patrick Williams, who we'll talk about in a bit. But um, do you think that matters, really? Or you know, I think it does. But when you when you take a look at him. You know, at the college level, he was really, really good as an isolation defender. He was in the he allowed you know less than 0.4 points per possession in isolation, which is really, really strong. He was in the 91st mm-hmm. percentile there in the entire in the entire college basketball scene. So I'm not super worried about that. I think that again, if he has to slide down and guard a two or switch onto a you know a true guard. Uh, he might struggle laterally with them, but especially, again, he has a 6'10", 6'11", wingspan, which I, I think, and he knows how even, to use it too, which I think will help him I, laterally. I think his lateral quickness for as unathletic, air quotes, unathletic as he is, I think he's still pretty quick laterally. Like, I don't think it's as bad as you would have thought if you just watched him as I agree. It's more, it's more north-south kind of yeah. top-end speed and acceleration that, that he doesn't have. yeah. Uh, but, but I agree when he with you. does get beat, when he does get beat by these smaller guards that are quicker, he's really. I was watching, um, I was just watching some film, film like an hour ago, and he just turns his hips really well and uses like that cross step to just recover and get back in front of whoever's there. Part yeah. of it, he uses his length to do it too. But yeah, if he gets beat off the dribble, he's not just gone. You know, like D'Angelo Russell's beat off the dribble, kiss it goodbye. He's out of the play. Devin Vassell can get back into the play, and I think that's important too when you're talking about on-ball defense. Yeah, something that that I've noticed too, and I've kind of seen it a little bit too with Jeremy Grant, just because I've watched a good amount of Jeremy Grant film mm-hmm. in the last in the last week or so, um, was that Jeremy Grant a lot of times if he so let's say you know I, for instance I was watching a play where Lonzo Ball had the ball in the perimeter and and Jeremy Grant was guarding him, Lonzo takes a small dribble to his left and then kind of uses a power crossover to get to his right side and then just explodes going to the mm-hmm. rim. And, and what happened is, is Grant, you know, got his hips turned. Lonzo successfully yep. turned his hips, but then Grant just kind of turned his, turned his hips further to the basket and then just kind of went on a straight line beeline down the lane. Basically just like to, 360. To, yeah. To try and cut him off just mm-hmm. a 180 turn to try and cut or him off turn, yeah. to try and cut him off and then gets to the block and uses his chest to get into the body of of Lonzo yep. which then allows him to kind of regain that prime positioning and I saw the same thing with Vassell too and I think it's something that the bigger kind of wings like to like to try and do is they 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 drop that hip even further and then try and cut guys off further down the baseline and get into them with their body to kind of re reassert control of the of the drive um, and so, you know, I'd, I'd like to see him be able to do that at the NBA level, but who knows? Yeah. Smaller, compact, well-built the, point guards might have, a, problem, might have a better time kind of getting into his chest and, and drawing fouls or finishing through contact. The only problem I see with turning, like that 180-degree turn, is then you're banking on them going to the rim. Where if he take like, you know, if Lonzo, not that he's a great shooter, but if he takes, you know, one back dribble and steps back, Yep. Then you're kind of out of the play. So Correct. that's the that's the rough part with doing that. But if you know, like Lonzo's not a great shooter, so if he thinks he got you, he's going to the rim. He's right. not gonna stop and pull up. So it's more of who who you're playing. And I think actually Devin Vassell's very smart and I think he picks up on tendencies really quickly on who he's guarding. So I think that's important. But I think the big thing and why I like him so much is I think he raises the floor of the Timberwolves team defensively quite a bit i think just having him i think it raises our floor quite a bit kind of how like 
having Robert Covington raised our floor some too. I think the same thing with Vassell. Yeah, and I think especially too when you have defenders out there like Malik Beasley and D'Angelo Russell who are markedly you know, not as good of a defender yeah, as Vassell. But I do have faith in Be- I have faith in Beasley to improve. So, I so do I. Flashes of so that. do I. I guess my main point is I don't think NBA teams are going to try and single out Devin Vassell on defense and try and explicitly yeah. attack him. Um, yeah. Which and, and because of that, I, I think that that kind of masks some of the issues that he has in terms of his frame and his kind of lack of elite lateral quickness because he'll spend most of his time playing off the ball, which I think, which I think is where he's most comfortable as a defender. Kind of same goes for Patrick Williams as well and, and allows him to make the greatest impact. And so if he can really work on refining some of his off ball tendencies to be a little hyper aggressive, I think that he'll be really, really solid from, from day one while he's working on that frame and, and improving just, I don't know some some of the some of the frame issues that kind of produce some of the shortcomings on the ball as a defender. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not too worried about Vassell, but I think his fit on the Wolves, I think he would be a good player. What's the so in the lottery? What's wherever the Wolves pick falls? What's the highest you'd be willing to draft uh, Vassell to the Timberwolves? Because I'm he he won't be there with the Brooklyn pick. He should be well but gone yep, by he'll then. Be What's go- the he'll highest be gone he would? Then. Uh, the highest, the highest I would pick Vassell with the Timberwolves pick. Um, man. I'm thinking like... I'd say fifth, number one. Fifth? Really? I was I'd thinking like fourth or fifth. I'd say number one solely for the fact that I don't think that the Timberwolves are going to trade back because I don't know who's going to come calling for the number one pick. And right. I don't think it should be a situation where the Timberwolves draft a guy higher or, or, ref, or kind of get cold feet about drafting a guy higher because that's not where everybody yeah. has him. Rather, Which is a good approach, I think. You don't. It's more about. I think sometimes people worry too much about how others value a player. That's exactly or a what I'm saying. Yeah, like like for rather than how you value them as your organization. Right, and and it kind of goes back to like the Wesley Johnson, Paul George example. Like the entire Timberwolves front <laughs> office wanted to draft wanted to draft paul george but because wesley johnson was ranked ahead of paul george uh was it david yeah con got cold feet about about drafting (laughs) paul george and that's kind of the thing here is like all right well if you have the second or third pick let's say you have like the third pick or something and you don't really and it goes i think i'd be comfortable at three probably i I would too um i personally like vassell in terms of his fit on the timberwolves better than Anthony Edwards and better than and better than LaMelo Ball. And when you're looking at guys in the draft, you're not looking at all right, who's just the best overall player. I think you have mm-hmm. to look at all right, unless you have a lot of holes. Right. I mean, and I don't think that we have cornerstone pieces that we're trying to build with. So I think Right. Like we're not trying to shoot the moon in the draft. We're trying to get a guy who you know, can really add value to the team in the sense that he fills a he fills a, a role at a really high level as opposed to trying to draft a franchise cornerstone, and and I think that Vassell is kind of that perfect complementary role player piece in the top you know ten picks of this draft. It's him and Onyeka Kongwu. I think those are the two guys that I would probably put at the top of my Timberwolves board in terms of guys the yeah. Wolves should be looking at. So I would feel confident drafting him first overall just because. You know, I think he's the guy that probably fit fits good. the best, and I would, I I would be a little apprehensive to just saying, oh, we should go de- get Anthony Edwards because, you know, everybody and, has him, right? And yeah. it's like Anthony Edwards and Malik Beasley are pretty similar. Pretty much, they're very like, similar. like I think Anthony Edwards has a higher, a higher defensive ceiling, ceiling and probably offensive yep. ceiling too, but they're a really similar archetype of player, and I think mm-hmm. it would be harder for Anthony Edwards to step in and have success on a team that already has. D'Lo, plus then you have Luke Beasley and, and a Kogi. Correct. Plus then you have a Kogi playing that position. Culver's a two slash three, so it's kind of crowded. Right. I don't think they want a one like or a two. two in that first no. kind of in that with that first pick. I, I'm I'm still right. not sold that that will use that first pick to, yeah. to draft somebody, but um, but yeah, I, I would feel comfortable taking him number one overall. Okay. Yeah, I feel. You kind of sold me on it. I think. I think I could get myself to be okay with it. I really like him. He's probably one of my favorite prospects in this draft. But I yeah, I think he would number one, 
I'd be okay with that. Yeah, unless you're drafting, you know, Edwards or Ball to try and use in a trade later on, which I would understand that. Yeah, but. yeah. But then at the same point, just trade the pick right away. Exactly. Not, you know. Yep. But, um, okay, so I think that's enough Devin uh, Vassell talk. So I want to bring this up quick before we get into Patrick Williams. I'm not going to quiz you this time because <laughs> I don't want you to have to embarrass yourself again. Um, but, uh so my article today, you read it, yep. and I just wanted to know what you thought about it. So basically what I was saying was NBA teams too often labeled, like especially this class, as weak because we're always looking for the next big thing. We're looking for LeBron or Jordan or Zion, and we forget that like championship teams are filled with um, solid talent top to bottom. And the Timberwolves already have their stars with, Russell and Towns whether you think that that's a good enough core to win a championship or not it's up to interpretation but what I'm saying is if you look at this draft class through a lens of you are going to build with these prospects instead of around these prospects this draft looks a lot better than if you have it the other way around I completely agree with that and, and yeah I, I read the piece and and I, and I loved it solely for the fact that you know Vassell and Akongwu no matter which way you want to rank them. Um, those two are my favorite guys for the Wolves. Um, yeah. and, and I think that one of the two will be around when they pick, even if they pick at seven. Yeah. I think that one of those two guys will probably be around. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I think there's other good guys too. Like Isaac Okoro is a guy that you could build with because, you yeah. know, he's got really high level skills in terms of driving to the rim. Um, he's just a defensive pit bull. He's like a mix of Josh Okoge and Marcus Smart on defense. So like guys yeah. like that, I completely I completely agree with the point that you're making. Um and, and think that those two guys are, are are really high level fits. Um just because you can plug them in and play because their skills are gonna translate on day one. Um yeah. because you know they're high level defensive players that really excel off the ball on defense. And those are things that you know, I, I really don't see players struggling to play off-ball defense in the NBA in their first season when they were mm-hmm. so so dominant at it at the college level. Yeah. So I I I personally liked it. Personally agree with it, and, and think that it's a really good draft to highlight the uh, the skills and kind of the. Uh, I think it's what like what the front office like, was was built upon is just scouting yeah. and and finding guys like this. I think it's pretty deep for like role players. Like you don't have top end talent, hundred percent. And there's not a ton of people that are that even have that star potential. But there's a lot of players that are going to fill a specific role that I think is really important. So I think you know if every draft I said this in there too, but if every draft was like this draft, yeah, it would get kind of rough. But having one every five years. Not not the worst thing in the world. Yeah, I think it separates the haves from the have-nots in terms of really strong scouting departments, and I think mm-hmm. that the Timberwolves have that, uh, both domestically and internationally. A lot of, you know, there's a lot of G League influence um, and, and just high-level scouting influence in the Timberwolves front yeah. office, and I think that they'll really lean on that to find guys that have kind of different skills and traits that you're looking for, and mm-hmm. and not really caring about where they are on boards just because I think everybody is all over the place. And, you know, one man's trash might be another man's treasure. And it's just really about finding guys that fit for your basketball team yeah. rather than are seen with the most skills or, or this or that. Um, so, so, yeah, I completely agree. All right. So now let's get into Patrick Williams. And I have a I have a question for you first off, right off the bat. What position does this guy play? What do you, what position do you see him playing <laughs> at the next level? Because the reason I ask, so um, I'll go through this. Tankathon has him as a power forward, right? Yep. ESPN has him as a small forward. They used to have him as a shooting guard. A real <laughs> GM has him as a shooting guard. Nobody has him as a center. What position do you think he plays at the next level? I think it's really going to depend on who drafts him because I don't think that, that Patrick Williams is going to be a guy that's drafted in the lottery mm-hmm. because his shooting is really kind of awkward. 
Um, I would have I would have really liked to see him play in Houston as a small ball five because I think that his frame and the way he plays defense and attacks the offensive or excuse me and attacks the well also the offensive glass but attacks the defensive glass and just has a, such a strong nose for the ball and is so energetic that that would really fit the right. bill for a small ball five in terms of maybe what Houston's looking for but I, I think he's going to be a four. Because okay, so let's say of his frame. Do you think he's a four on the Timberwolves? Correct, too? because of his frame. Okay, okay. I, I just no way. He's built, Absolutely he's no built way like a he's house. a shooting guard. Oh no, no God, way no. he's a shooting no, guard. No, no, no. He's... And I don't think there's a way he's a small forward unless he starts shooting the lights out. I think he's a four or a five, and I mean maybe a combination of both. I mean if the Timberwolves had him, I could see him running next to Cat as a four, which I don't think would be necessarily bad. And I could also see him running some, you know, small ball five on teams, and I think it would turn out pretty good. I mean, he's, yeah, like you said, he's built like a brick house. He's 6'8", he's got good length, he's 6'11". I don't know how much he weighs, but he's he's a big 225. dude. And he's super, 225, and he's super athletic. Yeah, and just an explosive, explosive leaper, explosive athlete, no matter how you cut it. Such And such a high motor, like kind of like a... Like kind of a Kogi esque, but in a bigger body, but just that nonstop like go at your throat type of player. Right. And he's a solid defender. Um. So yeah, I think it's interesting to me. So for some Minnesota fans that want a comparison, I couldn't really think of a great NBA comparison. I thought of like Jordan Bell, but I was like Williams can shoot a little bit better than Bell. A little stronger than Bell, but he's athletic like Bell, and you know, whatever. But my comp, and I don't know if you're gonna agree with this, is kind of. I thought of Jarvis Omersa on the Gophers, <laughs> and I was thinking like, the kid is just super athletic, and he has a high motor. Like those are the two things. That's that's my comparison. It's not much outside of that, but just like that athletic dude that can just jump out of the gym and he never stops. Yeah, I kind of like the I kind of like the JTO comparison. Um, uh, yeah, I think he's obviously just a, he's a little more built than, than Jarvis is, but but I think that's a, a good comparison. A guy who just kind of comes in as an energizer, right? And some games will kind of come out flat and won't really the the energy won't really translate into production, but mm-hmm. but you can feel him when he's on the floor one way or the other, and that's also definitely the case with a guy like Josh. That's why I love him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think that he is a kind of a tough guy to nail down a comp to. I didn't really have a perfect one in mind, but yeah. but I think Jordan Bell, I think that's a great one. I think he's he's got a little more meat to him than, than Jordan Bell does, which I think will allow him to guard fives as well. Uh, and, and he's a little more stiff and, and, and doesn't really move as well laterally. And I think that that will allow him to guard fives more just because, you know, there aren't a whole lot of fives that are going to jab and, and go and try and blow by you. And I, you know, I, I, I said it in my piece that came out, that came out this morning, um, or came out on, on Wednesday morning, um, that, that I, I worry that the Timberwolves are looking or are too focused on trying to find a, a four that can switch down as opposed uh-huh. that can, you know, switch down and switch up because you look at Wancho, like Wancho got killed uh, down, down on the block. And when he had to switch yeah. on to guys that are bigger than him, and especially if you've got a guy like Nas Reed, who's, who's foul prone or cat, even who's foul prone, who's foul prone. <laughs> um, they're probably going to try and switch fives onto you. And, yep. and if you can't guard a five or you're trying to find a four, that a four of the future and they can't guard a five, I think you're going to run into a lot more issues. And Patrick Williams is the type of guy that I think will be able to guard fives. I think that just some of his positioning and, and pliability um, can be improved upon. But, but again, and I his think body si- he has the body size to do it. Correct. Maybe not the height. Correct. And I think but that if that's PJ Tucker can do it. Patrick Williams. A hundred percent. Taller than Tucker. A hundred percent. And I think that again, once you get into the, the NBA strength and conditioning programs, I think that guys can get quicker they can get more pliable yeah. and, and and more flexible, which I think allows them to be better defenders, and and is something that I definitely think will happen with Patrick Williams. Yeah, and I agree with that. I think he could guard fives. Um, so I want to talk about his shooting a little bit because 
it does look awkward, like you said, but the percentage isn't absolutely terrible, like 32% on limited attempts per game. But it lends me to think like maybe something's there. And then you look at his free throw percentage, which was actually almost 84%, which is kind of telling for prospects coming into the NBA. There's been like studies done on that. So maybe he has the, maybe there's a window for him improving. He's one of the youngest players, I think, in the draft. He's like, what is he, 19 years old? He won't turn, or he's 18 years old. He won't turn 19 till August. So um, I think he should be pretty, he might have a chance. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I think he might have a chance to improve a jump shot to where it's at least you have to guard him. Like Jordan Bell, he made that one three, I think, in the corner of a Wolves game at the beginning did of this he, year. Did other than that, there was another one, didn't he bank it in? It, was like it, was a, it might have been a preseason yeah. game. Yeah, but I think Williams will be better than that. I think he could be good enough to where you would have to pay attention to him from deep. Maybe not right away, but in a few years. Yeah, I think when you kind of look at his jump shot, it kind of looks like... it. For some reason, big guys just look like they totally baby their jump shots sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of what it looks like a little bit. It just looks like he's uncomfortable when he shoots. And I think that was also something that I noticed with uh, Kawhi Leonard <laughs> when yeah. when he was coming out. And, and he obviously was able to fix it. And again, very similar body type and, and also very similar skill set coming out. Um, Kawhi's probably a little bit better on the ball, but... Um, yeah. but, but I think that being able to develop a jump shot is something that is something that takes time, but is something that can be done. And especially if, if you have good touch on free throws and floaters and, and little runners around the rim, like Williams does, yeah. I think that that probably lends to more of a conducive situation for success in terms of developing and, and growing a jump shot. So I, I hope I hope we see it just because he's a really unique prospect in terms of his off the ball prowess and and how much he loves just going up and, and trying to attack and kill people <laughs> at the rim yeah. when he's on defense, which is just a ton of fun to watch. And, I, and, and I'd really love for him to have a jump shot because he's he's so much fun to watch and mm-hmm. developing more of an offensive game for him would 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 I think he could become an all star level player if he develops a little bit more of a, of a jumper and, and an offensive yeah, I game. think his defense is good enough at to get to that level and I think yeah just a jump shot but right now without a jump shot a role I seen him play in a lot of offenses would kind of be in that dunker spot yep or um as a pick and roll you know lob threat because uh he is very athletic he's gonna go up and get the ball so with D'Lo in a pick and roll maybe that you know maybe if D'Lo floats one up to him it wouldn't actually be too bad but, um, yeah, I think he has a little ways to go with his jumper. But, I mean, a lot of people do fix their jump shots. I, I mean, You got people that never shot before all of a sudden taking threes and making them. And so I would never count count him out from having No, a it's shot. definitely workable. And, and he's got a solid base, too, which I think helps. And, the, and it's pretty consistent. Uh, and, and like I said, when you when you have a consistent base and your legs aren't flying around everywhere, I think the upper body is a lot easier to fix than a whole body shot, if you will. Yeah. And I think his thing is is much more of a an upper body thing. I think sometimes his toes, he kind of gets the pizza feet a little bit, where you know his feet are kind, kind of, of point in. kind of point in. But yeah. um, but you know, I think that's something that that can be fixed, especially with just getting in the gym and, and having and reps. There's not like a weird like hitch in his Correct. shot. Correct, it's really. pretty smooth. You know, because you think of some players that have like I don't know when they get to a certain point of their jump shot, it just kind of it's there's like a hitch there. Like even Culver's kind of like that um, at one point in his jump shot, but I don't see that in Williams. I think it's more of just like arm mechanics. And I think Makes that it could look be worked out wonky. of him, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, and and I think too, it it helps. Like, yeah, like you're saying. And I think when when it's smooth, but it just looks weird. That's easier to fix than, you know, something when it's that choppy is more confident of a stroke, but mm-hmm. is a lot choppier, like like Culver, I guess. Um, yeah. So because Culver's not afraid to shoot it, but he maybe should be. <laughs> <laughs> right. But um, another point of his offense that I noticed is he's actually a really solid cutter. Yep. And he's good. At, you mentioned he's good at finishing around the rim. He has good touch, and I think in an offense like the Timberwolves, where it's um, five, you know, very spacey, very five out esque, a good cutter is really good. We how many times did we see Wancho 
Hernan Gomez cut down the baseline or even Robert Covington before he got traded just find a lane and cut to the basket and all of a sudden he's found like all the time so if you have a good cutter who's strong and can finish at the rim even better like Wancho didn't finish at the rim better so you give those possessions to a guy like Patrick Williams who's got the touch around the rim and he's just a lot stronger and more athletic than Wancho I think it would be pretty interesting to see him in that in that type of role in the offense as well yeah. He has some 3-D three and, three and potential, too, with a jump shot, but I won't get too deep into that. Yeah, I completely agree. I think Williams, the reason why I think his offense probably isn't as far off as a lot of people might think is because he's smart when he doesn't have the ball in his hands. And I think if, if you're smart when you don't have the ball in your hands and you kind of know where to be and know where to flow and, and kind of flow to open space, whether it be under the basket or in the corners, just being able to effectively maintain the spacing of the offense – even if you don't have the ball in your hands, is really important. And and he knows how to do that and, and, and also played with other bigs on the floor, especially when uh, when they'd run different horns actions or when you know a, a big guy would flash in the high post and, and collect an mm-hmm. entry pass in the high post. He would oftentimes have no problem cutting back door and, and be wide open. And, and he also cut back door too when the ball was on the opposite wing and he was in the opposite corner. Um, mm-hmm. which, which was which was cool to see and encouraging to see because he's taking advantage of the athleticism that he has. And also, like you mentioned before, really, really good at going up and catching lobs and throwing down alley-oops as well. So I think that would be something that would fit in well in Minnesota just because you can never have too many guys who are really smart cutters. And that's mm-hmm. definitely his best offensive skill is his ability to cut and catch the ball off a cut, which is which is also important. Yeah. And then, and then like you said, finish at the rim at least markedly better than than what Wanjo is able to do. And he's not right. he's not afraid of contact either, which is no. important. And when you're six eight two twenty five, you you better not be afraid of contact. Right. Um, yeah, and I think that cutting, like I said earlier, cutting on a team where the ball or like. the rest of your team is spaced out is super important um another thing about his offensive game that i kind of think is a weakness is his playmaking but again we talked about this before he he doesn't need to be a playmaker but he needs to take care of the ball and um he doesn't do that very well i think you said he has like twice as many turnovers as assists which is kind of discouraging but um you know if maybe if he's not handling the ball much maybe it's not as big of a deal but it still is worth noting that he doesn't take care of the ball very well yeah he's got 50 turnovers and 29 assists and I think a lot of that doesn't necessarily have to do with passing I think it more has to do with his body control he, he had he had yeah. a decent number of offensive offensive fouls and travels as well which which I think can be a little that bit comes more. With a, that comes with a guy with the high motor like that, and you got to teach that out of them. Right, yeah. and, and, and J.O. had problems with that and, and kind of still has problem with, problems with that, but I think as you get more adjusted to the speed of the NBA game, um, yeah. that kind of goes away a little bit. And Florida State likes to play a fast up-and-down game, so I think him being able to to play in that I think helped. And it's good to make the mistakes in college uh, rather than just continually – making those mistakes or finding out that you have that problem in the pros and and i don't necessarily know how much of it is his passing versus his body control but but i definitely think that body control is is more of an issue than it is for a lot of other prospects that struggle with turnovers and and i think that that's something that is a lot more correctable to me than a guy who just makes bad reads Mm -hmm. and often is just careless with the ball and throws it away so that'll be kind of something that'll be interesting to monitor but you know, Florida State did also run him or, or have him run pick and rolls a decent amount. He, he ran 25 or 20 on 26 possessions. He ran a pick and roll as a ball handler and actually actually came in in the 90th percentile with it with a points per possession. Damn near close to one, which is really, really good for a guy mm-hmm. his size that plays yeah. his position. So and, and he did turn it over 20 percent of the time in those sets. But. You know, I, I think his passing, especially when, when he's got his head up and he's going down towards the rim, is is good and, and something that I yeah. think will will translate. Okay, so we've talked about these two for quite a bit. Do you have anything else to add? Otherwise, I want to talk about um, just Florida State in general because it seems like they're, uh, they've produced some good talent over the last 
a number of years. They seem like they have a good coaching staff because we have Malik Beasley. He's a Florida State guy. Now you have Williams. You have Vassell who are coming out. Jonathan Isaac is a quality NBA player. I mean, probably like a most improved candidate if he stays healthy. So I think like maybe we should trust what they're doing there and taking at least one of these two in this draft wouldn't be a bad choice. Yeah, no, I think that they, they produce a lot of really smart players uh, that uh, just make the right play and, and aren't afraid to, to really D up and, and play really mm-hmm. solid defense off the ball especially. And, and just a lot of a lot of kind of game records and destructors too when you look at, or disruptors, excuse me, when you look at, you know, Dwayne Bacon and Jonathan Isaac and, and Terrence Mann, all guys with really, really long, lanky frames um, mm-hmm. Malik Beasley is probably the smallest out of all those guys that, that has been drafted, but, but yeah, it, it's really, really impressive to, to see them continually churn out these, these great players and, and, and credit to them for, for recruiting guys with skill sets that they can work with, that they know that they'll be able to mold the right way and, and really turn into like NBA prospects. It seems like they're all just high motor guys. I mean, you talk about, we talked about Vassell and Williams both being high motor, but then Malik Beasley is like, he's go, go, go. He's one of the hardest workers. I mean, you go... When we first got him, he'd go on the Timberwolves Twitter page, and it was just all Malik Beasley in the gym. Those were that's what was the pictures was just Malik Beasley going in the gym, working hard. And I think that um, I think if you draft either of these two players, you just know how hard of worker they're going to be and how much they want it. So I think that's good too, because you when Jared Culver came out of the draft even last year, all you heard was he's the hardest working kid I've ever met. And you still hear Jarrett's the first one in the gym, the last one to leave. So I think having hardworking people is important too. So having those two, uh, having either one of those two in this draft would be good. So hypothetically, say uh, the Timberwolves draft Vassell at, let's say we get five and he's there at five. We take Vassell at five and Patrick Williams at 16 with the Brooklyn pick. What grade do you give that draft for the Timberwolves? Do you think do you think they're two people we should take both of them in the same draft or just like one of them and then somebody else? I would give that draft probably <coughs> excuse me probably like B minus. And the reason why I would and and I guess I'm cheating a little bit here is probably because that would mean that we failed to go out and acquire somebody with with one of those yeah. two first round picks. No, um, I think that's I think that's fair though. I mean, I yeah. think when you talk about draft, you also talk about picks are assets for trades too so you can and uh, and making that, a trade can turn into part of your draft grade as right, well 100 percent. and we've seen rosas continually refer to the picks as not picks but draft assets and i think that that draft capital yeah and exactly i think that kind of is pretty telling in terms of what his intentions are i mm-hmm. definitely think that the wolves will make one of those two picks they have to at least because of the stipend rule but um, so we know that they're going to take and keep one of those picks, but, but I think that it'll probably be the, the first one just because I really don't know who they're going to try and go after with a, with a top pick. I think that, yeah. I think that the type of guy they may want to go after with that first pick probably is going to be worth a little too much. And so they'll end up settling for getting some guy with the with the second pick that they'll have. I mean, hopefully, hopefully they even get it with with Brooklyn. Yeah. Um, in the, in the playoffs, if if we get there, but, um, but yeah, I think that, I think that, you know, if we if we took two players that that something probably went wrong somewhere on the, in the war room on the phone. So, uh, yeah. I think yeah, I think that the only way we take two picks is if Rosas can't find a deal. and, um, But I also don't think Rosas is just going to make a deal to make a deal. I think he's I, smart I enough to not make a bad deal. I think whatever deal, I'm super confident in, in him, so whatever he did, I would be like, there's a reason for that, and I trust him. You know, I didn't, I've never had that before. We didn't have that with Thibodeau or Khan or anybody else that's been running the team. But with Rosas here, I feel confident that every move made has a reason. You know, and yeah, I think even I, I with Jared agree. Culver, the people are down in the Culver pick, but you know, there's still time. Everything we're not going to get deep into that, but I think there was a reason he drafted him there. Yeah, look at the last 15 games of the season that the yeah, Wolves played. He was exactly. awesome. He was awesome, awesome, awesome. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, you know, I'd like to hope that they're not going to make a, a trade just to make a trade. I think that's part of the reason why Sasha Gupta is the EVP of basketball ops as well, just mm-hmm. because I think that 
you know, he really, really gets and understands player value in trades and knowing what's a good deal and what's not a deal. And I think that trades like trading Gorgie Jang for James Johnson uh, are kind of born out of that line of thinking. And and kind of thinking about how can you stretch your dollar or your asset the furthest. So I'm sure that I'm sure that they'll do that and if they think that the best way to stretch that is by drafting a player, I think that that's what they're going to do. And if you wanted to have me yeah. grade that those two picks on strictly a if they if they were forced to keep both picks, what would I get? I'd probably give that like an A minus. Um, yeah. just because you know I don't know who might slip or, or who might be around 16 that I'd rather have than Patrick Williams, inevitably but... somebody falls you know usually there's right. some there's someone that falls. like Michael right. Porter Jr. or whoever correct uh, Kevin Porter Jr. even last year fell quite a bit so yeah 100 percent. and I think that there you know there might be a guy like that and, and you know I I haven't run a million simulations of the draft so I'm not exactly sure mm-hmm. where everybody's needs are and and in that light but but I think that you know you're getting two guys that I think could immediately help out the team which is important and yeah and ultimately you're getting maybe the guy who fits better than anybody in the draft at your team than than any other draft prospect for your team at five which I think is good value yeah. for Vassell so so I think it would be a lot of fun to to bring those two guys in as as guys that can immediately make an impact especially on the defensive end which is which is where we really need rookies to be able to step in and play right away yeah but um so i have a quick question because i don't really know the answer to this but um so say we get the brooklyn pick and it, the lottery has it at 16 what what's the high do you know what the highest that pick can even jump up to because it has a percentage of getting one right like a one percent chance no so that pick's actually outside the lottery the lottery is the top four oh, yes. is the top oh, yeah. 14 teams so right now so they we wouldn't get it if it was in the lottery. That's right. Correct. And so I'm pretty sure that as it's... So 16 would be the highest we would get with that pick. Otherwise, um, if they end up not making the playoffs, then we would fall out. We wouldn't get that pick and we'd get future picks. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I think that I think that we might also be able to get it at 15, uh, depending on where yeah we could get it at 15 as well in case the magic Depending the magic the were to jump is. and you know i think that yeah. if we get the pick it's probably more likely that we get it at at 15 than 16 and the reason why i think that is because you know the magic are only a half game behind the the nets in the standings and if Kyrie and yeah. kd aren't playing um but the magic falls down right but bit. the magic you know still have everybody and my i mean minus jonathan isaac because he had season ending surgery but yeah. I could I could feasibly see a world in which the Magic jump them. I just hope that, you know, the Wizards don't play John Wall. I mean, I'd love I love John Wall. I'd love to see him John play. John Wall is my favorite player in the NBA. So. <laughs> but like, but in from a Timberwolves perspective, you just hope that the yeah, Wizards don't, don't play him because play. the Wizards are you know, the Wizards are like five and a half six games back. Um, they're Did six. They're see... exactly six games back from the Nets. But who knows? I mean, if the Nets free fall in those eight games and. And the and the Wizards play really well, and their Luckily, offense it's only is just eight on games, one. Though. Yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens. A lot it'd have to go really wrong, but um, but it could happen. So we'll see. But but I think we'll we'll end up probably having that selection at fifteen. So yeah, but John Wall was lobbying for uh, the Wizards to sign uh, Demarcus Cousins now to come back for the playoffs. Oh, so I love that BBN duo that could, back together. Yeah, but that could really. Uh, that could affect it too. I mean, if you, all of a sudden, if John Wall for some reason decides he's coming back, you bring in Boogie Cousins. There's a chance. There's a better chance there that the Nets end up falling out. But I also, mean, yeah, I think that team's better than Orlando. That team's better than Brooklyn. That team would probably be close to close to as good as as Philly. The way Philly was playing down the stretch, obviously not as much talent. But but if that team turns <clears> it on and plays yeah. well together, I mean, they could go six and two or seven and one. Who knows? But the rough thing is. Uh, well, not rough, but Brooklyn still does have Dinwiddie, Allen, Levert. I think they're good enough to win. I think just three games and right. they're in. Yep. Like the Magic would have, or not the Magic, the Wizards would have to go undefeated. And I think if the Nets lost two, there'd be a tiebreaker and we'd have to see what happens. But yeah. Yeah, like, but the thing that I get a little bit worried about is is that you'd have it. So let's say the, the Magic jumped the Nets. If, mm-hmm. so let's say so the, the Nets are like, two and a half or three games ahead of the mat or ahead of the wizards, wizards when the season ends then they have a playoff so oh, if you're if right. you're if yeah. you're within three and a half games i think is what the number is 
then they have a playoff and the the team that's high in the higher seed so in this case it would be the Nets would only have to win once but then if uh-huh. if the Wizards beat them two games in a row then the Wizards jump the Nets and the Nets are out of the playoffs and okay. they're and then the Nets would then be in the lottery so sort of like a double elimination correct and then they'd keep and then bracket. they'd keep that pick and we get two second round picks next year or something like that i don't know yeah. what the conveying is but um, but there's definitely a path to the Wizards Wizards getting that pick, but like you said, you know, you just got to bank on, you know, Dinwiddie, Lavert, Harris, Allen, Torian Prince, Jordan. right? Some of those guys, <laughs> some yeah. of those guys, just so. just getting them three or four wins. Yeah, I I hope we get both so we can make a trade with one of them. But uh, say the say the Brooklyn pick doesn't convey this year, and uh, you think that we trade our pick and then we just could. select nobody in the first oh we can't then. We oh step in rule right yeah because we yeah. traded our our pick next year pick to year. um to, for next to year, golden yeah. state and the nice thing is that um it, it doesn't matter if you trade a pick that you get so like we have two this year we yep. can trade either pick we it, it wouldn't it doesn't have to be our pick correct our original right. pick correct yep. okay so and that makes sense yeah, which is kind of the nice thing about the flexibility option of if you have two picks, yeah. but but we'll see what happens with the Nets. So. All right. Well, thanks for coming on. I think we got enough on Williams and Vassal, so the listeners can uh, get a little bit more of a an understanding of who they are and how they would fit on the team and maybe some of their strengths and weaknesses. But um, yeah, I think that pretty much should. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.